Hi, I'm Judith, and I'm going to be sharing this morning's teaching text. Acts 1, verses 1 to 9. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Thank you, Judith, for reading that. Hey, it's so good to see you this morning here in our Chesterfield campus, but also it's good to, great to see you who are joining us online today in this service today. As has been mentioned in the service, we're starting a new series today. It's called Wait, and we're going to do it for the next four weeks, which culminates on the day of Pentecost. And I've got some great news that on the day of Pentecost, which is the 23rd of May, we've got a special message from Pastor um, Dave Smith from Kingsgate Church in Peterborough, and they've got other campuses as well. And uh, he's going to be bringing a message that he's recorded just for their church and our church. And so we're really excited about that. This series is about the Holy Spirit. The tagline is that there's a fresh wind blowing. And you know, the Holy Spirit has been the engine, the power in the church for the last 2,000 years. And I'm believing, and I believe in my heart, actually, that there is a fresh wind blowing as we come out of this season that we've been in, that the Holy Spirit is about to do something fresh and new, and that God wants to prepare us for it, wants to position us to be ready. So I'm excited. And I hope over these next four weeks, all of us will get excited and positioned for all that God wants to do. Well, seven years ago, 2014, I started a business. Not many people know this. I think there's a picture coming up of the logo. It was called Premier Auto Clean. It's a car, it was a car valeting business um, that actually the idea was that we came to your home or to your workplace. It was a business idea built around the thought of convenience, that you didn't have to wait. So that while you were at home, or you were eating, or gardening maybe, watching TV even, or when you were at work, someone would come and clean your car and do an excellent job. It was a great idea. But the business didn't last long. Not because it failed. It didn't fail. We got clients and we got people and it was growing. It was a great idea, but I couldn't give it the energy as a business owner to keep it going and to keep it growing. It was a great idea because we don't like waiting. I I don't know about you, but I love Amazon Prime. Anybody else with me? 
you know, next day deliveries. They're just from heaven, aren't they? I mean, that is just incredible. But you know, the best thing about Amazon Prime is when you get this, when you log on and you've got something you want to buy and you get this message, order within the next 30 minutes and you can receive this by 10 p.m. tonight. Now, I don't know if that does for you what it does for me, but that gets me really excited. It gets me so excited, it's almost equal to being filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you. You see, the removal of waiting and convenience is something we've been working on in our culture for a very long time. We've had fast food for ages now, decades, and it just gets faster, doesn't it? Fast food gets faster. We've got Uber Eats now. We've got Just Eat. We've got Deliveroo. We've had microwaves, it seems, forever. There are hundreds of things that have been designed, I would say, over the last 50, 60, 70 years to help us not to have to wait. And now there's this. I've got a little video to show you. Because right now, on the west coast of Ireland, we are... What are we doing? We are experimenting with drones delivering parcels. Here's a little video just for a minute or two. comes that pizza. It won't be long before that hits Chesterfield and your pizza that you were talking about in the chat earlier, your pizza will come via drone. My question this morning is, what would you wait for? What would you wait for? What would you and I wait for in a culture that isn't um, keen on waiting? I bought Jeannie a new chair for Christmas, and uh, we had to wait for it to be made, and so it didn't arrive until March. My eldest son, Nathan, uh, who's in this service, had to wait on his waiting, waiting day, on his wedding day, for 45 minutes, because Debbie was 45 minutes late. In fact, we almost got kicked out of the church because the vicar had a school trip or something coming in afterwards. What would you wait for? What is worth waiting for? This passage that was read to us earlier, Jesus has risen from the grave on Easter day, and um, he's been meeting with the disciples. The resurrected Jesus has been meeting with the disciples over a period of 40 days, almost six weeks. Not every day, but on quite a few occasions. And imagine how you would have felt if you were one of those disciples. The resurrected Jesus, alive again, has been meeting with you. He's been teaching about the kingdom of God. You'd have thought, this is it, wouldn't you? And that's what the disciples thought. They asked him things now. Is it now? Is it now you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Because they still had this idea that the kingdom was this destruction of all their enemies and they would be freed from the empire of Rome. But in the midst, in one of those meetings, this happens. 
Verse 4 of Acts chapter 1, it says, On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Everybody say wait. Wait Wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Wait, Jesus says. How long for? He doesn't tell them. What exactly are we waiting for? Well, the promise you've heard me speak about, but it's still a bit vague. And then Jesus, at the end of that instruction, ascends to heaven and he disappears. Everything goes invisible. I think it's hard to wait for the invisible. It's hard to wait for something you're not certain what's coming in the future. And Jesus tells them not just to wait, but to wait in Jerusalem. Most of these disciples were from Galilee. They actually, Galilee, they lived 70 miles north. And they'd been away from their homes for six weeks already. And now Jesus says, wait. But not just wait, wait in Jerusalem. What would you wait for? What would I wait for? As I've thought about this, I've asked myself the question, would I even wait? Because they just had to wait and they just had to wonder. They would wait for 10 days, which doesn't seem a long time, but it's a long time when there's nothing else you can do but wait. It's a long time when you're 70 miles away from home. It's a long time when you're expecting something significant, but you don't really know what it is. Will it come gradually, bit by bit, or will it come suddenly? They've no idea. All they know is they've been asked to wait. When I became a Christian, the church I became a Christian in at 13 years of age used to have waiting meetings. Can anybody remember those? Waiting meetings were meetings normally on a Sunday night, on occasion after the Sunday evening service where you would wait to be filled with the Holy Spirit. They were called waiting meetings. In fact, the denomination we belong to also used to have waiting meetings at the conference that it held in Minehead, Butlins in Minehead conferences. But after a while, we began to say, well, this is the wrong name because, you know, the Holy Spirit came 2,000 years ago. We don't have to wait for him. We just have to receive. So we changed them to receiving meetings. And then we, we kind of got even cooler than that and said, well, you can receive the Holy Spirit any time. So you don't really need a meeting. And so we stopped those meetings. But I wonder if we forgot to wait. And we forgot how to wait. You see, some things are worth waiting for. Some things are worth waiting for. I'm sure, at least I hope, that Nathan thinks that Debbie was worth waiting for. I hope, too, that Jeannie thinks her chair was worth the wait as well. Jesus says, I want you to wait for the promise of the Father. I want you to wait for the Holy Spirit. And 120 of his disciples, not all, He touched thousands of disciples. He'd even met post his resurrection with 500 at one time. 120 thought it's worth the wait. And then he said this about the Spirit. He says in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. They were to wait for the promise And they were to wait for the power. What would happen today if we waited for the promises? 
What would happen today if we waited for the power? You see, as I've said already, I believe this is a prophetic moment. There's a fresh wind blowing and God wants to get our attention. We've had over a year of a worldwide pandemic and the predictions of the fallout are not good. The deterioration in mental health is at record level. There's a bit of good news that suicides in England have actually dropped, but every other indicator of mental health has risen. The finance industry are warning of a tsunami of debt that's about to hit us, especially when the government stops handouts and schemes for monetary support like furlough. If in this moment we are not stirred towards God, I don't know what would need to happen for us to do that. Would it take a personal tragedy for me to seek God, for us to seek him? You see, some things are worth waiting for. As a church, we believe a youth revival is worth waiting for. Because we're not willing to sacrifice the next generation to the enemy on the altar of cool and powerless Christianity or compromise. It's worth seeking God for. You know, some people, are, some parents are cool and they say, oh, our kids will work it out. They'll find their own way. No, no, no. It's, you need to wait on God because your children were made for more. They were made for more. They were made for God's purposes and they were made for God's presence. And I'm not willing to give the next generation to the enemy. I believe revival in our society is worth waiting for. A move of the Holy Spirit that shifts the fabric of our nation towards faith, righteousness, and justice. It's worth waiting for. What about a revival in the historic sense where thousands of people come into God's kingdom at a rapid pace? You know, the Welsh revival at the beginning of the 1900s, 100,000 people became Christians. This is people who had nothing to do with church. 100,000 in six months became Christians and were transformed. I was reading about a revival in New York recently in Rochester, just an area of New York with a a preacher, a man called Charles Finney in 1830. And again, over a period of a year, 100,000 people who had no connection with the gospel, no connection with church, came in to the kingdom of God in a space of a year, a historic revival. What about a church that's so alive and vibrant that thousands of people are drawn to Jesus? It's worth waiting for. What about you and me? A personal revival, knowing God and the life of the Spirit in a fresh way. Well, I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic today because I believe there's a fresh wind blowing. I believe there's a cause for optimism in this text. And there's also instruction in the text as well. You know, the text says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. There's a cause for optimism that there's promise and there's the power of God, but there's also instruction. And I want to share this morning just three quick thoughts. And then at the end of those thoughts, we're going to worship, but we're going to go straight into worship. And I want us in that moment to open our hearts to say, Lord, we're stood here. Position us today. Position us these next few weeks in a place where we can receive the wind of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's my first thought. Jesus has only just begun. In verse 1, it says, in my former book, Theophilus, Judith had pronounced his name correctly, and that's a baby name that is available. I wrote about all that Jesus began. 
to do and teach. Jesus' time on earth was only the beginning. Sometimes what seems like an end is only the beginning. We in our lives, don't we, we get to the end of a thing, sometimes the end of a season, the end of an event, whatever it is in our lives, and we lament its passing. But we need to know that with God, ends are just the beginning as well. Luke is writing his second book to Theophilus. Uh, Theophilus is his patron. In other words, Luke has been paid to research this stuff, Luke's gospel and the book of Acts. And he's writing to his patron. And he says to his patron, Theophilus, my first book, that was just the beginning. Not only that, if you go to the last chapter, Acts chapter 28, Luke doesn't conclude it. He leaves it open because he knows that that was not the end, that the Holy Spirit was still working, and he's still working 2,000 years later. The book of Acts is still being written. Maybe you've had an ending in some area of your life recently, and maybe you're lamenting that, and that might be right, and it might be proper, but I want to tell you today, God isn't finished with you. It's only the beginning. There are new beginnings for you. Someone needs to grab it and believe that today. I'm speaking to somebody today. God has a new beginning for you. Jesus has only just begun. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. You are still chosen. You are still chosen. Did you see verse 2? It says, uh, I wrote those former things. Until the day Jesus was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, he had chosen. You are still chosen. After the year we've just had, we're still chosen. No matter what mistakes you've made in your life, in your past, you are still chosen. I've said before, this last year, plus now, over a year, is apocalyptic, not because the world is coming to an end, but because that word apocalypse, apocalyptic, means a revealing, an unveiling. And I don't know about you, but it's revealed a lot about me. It's revealed a lot about my heart, my, my, my fears, my idols. It's revealed so much. And like me, some of you, you might not be happy with what it's revealed. Well, I've got good news for me today and good news for you. You're still chosen. You're still chosen. These guys had abandoned Jesus. They denied him. They were disappointed with him. Maybe they thought he was disappointed with them. They thought they'd got the wrong guy. Some of them thought we've wasted three years of our lives. Some of the 120 at one time thought Jesus was crazy. Some of them didn't even believe in him. Until the resurrection, including his brothers, James, whose proper name is Jacob, but that's for another message, and Jude amongst them. Those two brothers didn't believe in him. They'd become at times critical and negative. They'd lost hope. But Acts chapter 1 and verse 2 tells us they were still chosen. They were still wanted. At the start of Jesus' ministry, John Mark writes, in the gospel we know as Mark, he writes this. Mark 3 and 13, Jesus went up to a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. You see, some of you think you blew it. But God sent me to tell you, you're still chosen. You're still wanted. In fact, some of you have been ghosting Jesus. 
Like, you know it. You know you are. You know it. You've been ghosting Jesus. You've been ghosting Jesus so much that in heaven, there are wanted posters with your face and your name on them. The angels are looking for you today. You know, despite their failures, despite their doubts, despite Peter going back to fishing, despite people on the Emmaus Road losing home, they were still chosen and they were still wanted. And their disciples' best days were ahead. They were about to be filled with the Holy Spirit. They were about to reach thousands of people. They were about to start churches. They were about to heal the sick and see the sick raised. They were even going to see on a few occasions the dead raised. Listen to this. Don't offer your destiny on the altar of mistakes and failures. You are still chosen. You are still wanted. God still has a purpose for you. There's a fresh wind blowing. So be filled again. Post-pandemic, be filled again with the Holy Spirit and wait. Wait on the Lord. When you live chosen, you know that God has appointed you to a purpose and he is anointing you to carry it out when you live chosen. You're still chosen. If you're near somebody, why don't you tell them? If you're sat with somebody at home, why don't you tell them? You're still chosen. You're still wanted. I know I'm speaking to somebody today. And then the final thing, the third thing, is to wait is the sacrificial act of prayerful expectation and unity. Sorry for those taking notes. I know it's a long point, isn't it? Let me say it again. Give you time to get it, get your thumbs working. To wait is the sacrificial act of prayerful expectation and unity. Let me read a couple of verses that, that are a bit later in that chapter. It's Acts chapter 1, verses 12 to 15. It says, after this, then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives. It was a Sabbath day's walk from the city. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. Look at this. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up amongst this group of believers, a group numbering about 120 it was a sacrificial thing for them to wait. I've already mentioned, Jesus says, wait in Jerusalem. They lived 70 miles away. They went from Jerusalem. Waiting requires action. They were to join in constant prayer. Some of these people would never go home again. They never went home. They stayed in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit fell on them. They started a revival. You see, waiting equals action. It's a continual expectation and a continual act. We know this from the Old Testament. There are many scriptures in the Old Testament about waiting. Here's just one, Psalm 37 and verse 34. Wait for the Lord and keep his way. Notice this verse doesn't just hang around and wait. No, it says keep his way while you're waiting. They were to sacrifice and wait. Waiting was also prayerful expectation. See, they knew, as I've said, what waiting 
meant. It wasn't to just hang around or, or just to sit around. You know, they had an understanding from the Old Testament, from the history of their nation. Wait meant an expectation of trust, a confidence in the one you were waiting on. Their obedience to stay in Jerusalem and to join constantly in prayer was their expression of trust. Jesus, we believe the promise is coming. Jesus, we believe the power is coming. To wait is to expect. To wait is to prepare. To wait is to pray. This series, I hope, stirs something in our hearts to pray for God to move in our lives like never before. I was thinking about the Moravians. This is a people who started a prayer meeting that lasted 100 years. That's an expectation and a trust, isn't it? If you'll pray for 100 years, I mean, they, that means you're praying across generations. One generation started it, but three generations later, they're still praying. The only reason you would pray for 100 years is that you were confident in the one that you were praying to and you were waiting for. I believe God is calling us in this moment, individual and icon church, to sacrificially, to be sacrificial and expectant in our prayer. And then there's the third aspect of waiting. And the band are going to come back. Unity. They were all together in one place, the scripture says, on this occasion. And then it will tell us in chapter 2, they're all together in one place again. And the Holy Spirit falls. Unity is a sacrificial act. It's not easy. It's not easy to forgive. It's not easy to stay united. It's not easy to believe the best. It's not easy, but it's something so powerful and beautiful when we see it in action. I recently said this. It's on our opening screens in all our campuses right now. What, what we accomplish when we're united is what pleases the heart of God. I remember, I was remembering when we were back in the school. Our church, by the way, is seven times bigger than it was the days I'm talking about back in the school. And uh, we needed, we wanted to move into this building and we needed to raise 50,000 pounds in Rise and Build so we could move here into this Chesterfield building. We've never, we'd never took an offering like that in the life of our church before. But you know, that, that day was so special. Just ask anybody who was there that, that day. Because the whole church leaned in. Uh, there, there, was, there was the odd person, but the whole church leaned in. They were united. Everyone did what they could do on that day, in that moment. The atmosphere was electric. Mark Wilkins, who's here this morning, he had the offering bucket at the end. He even cried as he held the offering. Like if you knew Mark back then, he never cried back then but he knew and we knew even before counting the offering we knew that it was a God moment a miracle and that's why we're here today what we accomplish when we're united is what pleases the heart of God imagine what God could do now in 2021 and beyond if we lean in I'm convinced that God is getting ready not just in Icon Church but God is getting ready to do something. I wonder what could happen in the lives of our children. I want to tell you something. I'm only here because of my mom's prayers. God told my mom to stop praying for a husband but to pray for a son. 
And she started praying for me. Instead of praying for her husband, I'm only here because of those prayers. Many of you are here because someone prayed that they didn't give up on you. Maybe it was a mom, maybe it was a dad, maybe it was a pastor, maybe it was a church. Maybe like us, you've got some names buried under this. Your name was buried under a stage and somebody would remember you and pray for you. You're here because somebody wasn't willing to offer you up to the enemy, but actually was willing to sacrifice themselves to seek God. It's our turn. It's our time. What could happen in our children? What could happen in our youth? You know, the stats in our nation about young people and faith are horrible. And I know, I know it misses us because we've got a move of God amongst young people. And we must thank God for that every single day. And we need to call on, but we need to call on God for the youth of our nation. We need a youth revival desperately. I'll give you one statistic, just one. 70% of Christian kids that go to university give up on church in the first year. 70%. Seven out of 10. Some come back later on, but the statistic is horrible. That's why we encourage at Icon Church, young people, if you can, go to university, stay plugged into one of our campuses, three great universities close by, go to one of them. And all we do, if they can't do that, we do all we can to connect them quickly to a great church. It's us saying, not today, devil. Not today. We're not going to sacrifice. You know, what about our communities and our campuses? I'm convinced that most of our church we haven't met yet. We haven't met yet. We haven't met most of our church. We don't know them. We don't know their names. We're believing God for great things. Some things are worth waiting for. And I believe God is staring us today. He's staring you and he's staring me to lean in. Jesus has only begun. You and I, we're still chosen. We're still wanted. There's still a purpose of God to fulfill in our life. It's time to, for us to wait on God. It's time for us to be filled again with the Holy Spirit. What do I believe about the baptism of the Holy Spirit? I believe in one baptism, many in fillings. I believe you can leak. It's time to be filled again. It's time to see what God can do through us. We're going to worship God now just for a, a few moments. And I want us to lean in. I just want us to receive. Maybe we need to repent. Maybe we need to tell God we're sorry. We know there's some stuff that we've la laid down. And we need to come back today. And if that's you, I encourage you to do that today. All I'm asking, let God touch our hearts. That's what he wants today. That's what he's after today, our attention. He wants us to come back to him. Or to come to him in a way that's fresh and new. Because there's a fresh wind blowing. And we want to be ready to receive. After we've worshipped, I'll come back and pray for us. But why don't we stand here in our campus? If you're online, why don't you just position yourself? Maybe you, you're sat on your couch or you're in your kitchen or you're in the room. Just lift your palms to heaven in, a, in, a, in an atmosphere of receiving. And I'm just going to say, come Holy Spirit right now. Touch every person in the room, in their homes, wherever they are, wherever they're connecting today. As we worship you, God, in these few moments, Holy Spirit, fill us. Fill us afresh, I ask, in Jesus' name.